0: Good evening and the Lord be with you I want to look one more time at the prayer of Jabez because this man is he's so much like us in so many ways and he was the one who prayed and received the blessing in a life-changing releasing fashion and so at the end of his prayer you remember in 1 Chronicles in chapter 4 and verse 10 you have that cry oh that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and then which is in my opinion the very heart of what happened to him when he received the blessing he said and that you would keep me From and my translation says harm, which is a possible translation, but the real word there is evil, that you might keep me from evil, that it may not pain me. And God granted him that which he requested. Keep me from evil. This is, I say, the heart of it, because the word evil, it has many facets of meaning which we'll look at in a moment but at the uh, bottom line the word evil is the absolute opposite of the word blessing it's the opposite of the word peace which if you remember when we were looking at number six uh, peace is the great gift of the blessing but the word evil i say again is the opposite of the word blessing and so when he prays this he has come to the heart of it he is saying goodbye and he's calling upon god to make it happen keep me from evil that it may not pain me that is let my life be lived in this blessing but What does the word evil mean? The word evil, and I'll give you a number of definitions as it's variously translated in the scripture. It means destructive hurt. So there's evil, a thing that happens to us, but the very, what could I say, the beating heart, the the great energy, that dark Energy that's in the heart of whatever happened is the evil, and it's a destructive hurt. It's more than a happening, it destroys the person, And, and the hurt that it gives is a destructive hurt. Another word that is used to translate this word is that which crushes or destroys. And so there, there is an evil that happened, uh, an abuse, a violation, some traumatic happening. And it was not just a happening, there was something inside of that that got further into you to crush or destroy. And it also means um, moral wrong. I mean that which is wrong and it's it's wrong in in its destructive powers to society and and to life itself it's I mean there are things that happen in these days when i don 't know about you but I have said that is evil that, that that's not just a mistake it is evil, it is wrong to the very core of all that we know is right and wrong, moral wrong and, and the interesting thing is that when evil comes into our lives and we for uh, not understanding any better receive the fullness of that evil and, and it hurts and it crushes and it destroys Our response to it many times is to produce moral wrong. We we do things, we become addicted, we, we go down a pathway of despair and hopelessness. The evil produces evil. The word evil also means pain and grief which are the words that turn up in this story of Jabez more than once. And, and so again, it's the idea the thing happened, but what it has done is implant into those who have been involved in that evil, have been the recipients of the evil. They are made to know pain and they know grief. It also means that which is poor. That's very interesting that the word in its very rootage is, is linked to poverty. Evil, in, in what it does, always leads to poverty. Poverty of spirit, poverty of mind, poverty of emotions, leaving us many times in despair, distress, depression. It, it, it has a, a power of poverty in our bodies. The word is translated as sick because it brings a leaching of health from our body it means ugly in quality the whole event is ugly there's nothing beautiful about it, it's evil I say again the opposite of all that is peace the very opposite of blessing but I don't know if you've heard me in what I've just said but let me now say it as plainly as I know The pain of evil, the pain of it, is not merely the, shall I say, historical, actual abuse that happened to us. It is in the lie that Satan the liar injects into it. And that lie becomes the energy, dark energy at the center of the abuse and what is that lie? the lie has again many forms but let me give some of the most outstanding the lie that is at the heart of this thing that happened to us is that it didn't merely happen to us but rather it has become us Or shall I say that the event of evil in our life now defines us. This is who we are. It did did not merely happen to us. It's melded with us, merged with us, so that we now talk about ourselves as that that happened. The two have become one. That's the energy of evil. That's the lie. It says this, this evil thing, this is you. And you have become unclean by it. You are now dirted by it. You, you now are this horrible thing. And you, you join, you merge with it. That's the lie, the hideous lie. It was a happening, but you now see it as the... It's so much part of you that it's the energy that guides our life now and, and defines all of our hopes and our futures. All our days, all our decades sometimes, are driven to become an extension of that abuse, a fleshing it out and a fulfilling of its evil and lie-filled purpose. And of course, that means the whole attention is upon ourselves because we see ourselves now as the victim of that abuse and the abuser. And we see ourselves as doomed to be the victim of whatever it was that happened. There is another terrible lie that is at the heart of the evil that happens to us it's, it, and it causes a suppressed rage and that lie poses itself to us in a question why did God allow this to happen to me? Jabez would say why did God allow my mother to call me Jabez why did God allow it some go as far as saying why did God do it but God becomes the center of our rage did you see what is happening here how it's all distorted and twisted we, we, we see ourselves now as one with the abuse. We, we are the guilty one. We, we are the unclean one. We, we, we are the person to be shunned. We are the person to hide in shame. We're one with it. But also our rage is primarily toward God saying, why did you allow this to happen to me? And you see, that is the great lie. I, I, I could spend one whole hour with you on this, but I think I can say quickly, God did not do this. And the idea of God allowing this is foreign to Scripture. You see, we human beings are free creatures. And in our freedom especially because of our freedom is within the boundaries of the fall and sin we do evil to each other we hurt each other and it's not a matter of god allowing human did this to human and that's the way Everything from creation is set up and that's why it would take a long time to really talk about it. But that's the fact. No, God didn't do this. His mother did this. His mother did it. Then where does God come into this? God comes into this in a way that I'm going to try and spend a lot of time with in a minute. He joins us. He's not up there somewhere, managing us like puppets, allowing and disallowing. God so loved us, he came and joined us in the pain and the grief and the chaos of this world's evil choices. He came right into the belly of the cruelty and the pain of this world. He loved us so much that he joined us in our pain and he takes the pain to his own self and bears it away. And so we will come back to that, but let me just define it here that that is the great lie. That we are the victims not only of the abuser, but we're the victims of God. And this anger that we have, an anger toward God and toward what has happened to us, we, we, again, we're ashamed of the anger, and, and so we suppress it. And anything you suppress is going to find another way out. And, and, and so the suppressed anger, subconscious, it, it, it springs out to the person in front of us. And sometimes they're they're amazed because the anger is out of all proportion to whatever it is you are allegedly angry about. You you explode over small issues. You, you, You are in a state of rage over something that at best could cause a little impatience. And sometimes, if we know the abuser, then anything that mentions the name of the abuser, any person who looks like the abuser, or the ethnic group of the abuser, or the gender of the abuser, causes that same rage to rise within us. That's the hurt. That's the pain of evil now reproducing itself decades after the fact. And there's a desire for revenge, to get even, and it comes in a deep-seated bitterness and malice as well as rage toward the abuser. Sometimes, when the very name is mentioned, the rage rises within. Yeah, and we, we're we always turning inward we're, we're the victim and, and it, it's self fawning over self self telling self that you're the victim and therefore you, you, you are the one who now hides in shame and that in itself as I said at the beginning produces acts of sin sometimes it produces, gives birth to addictions but you see in all of this we we have taken the step of believing the lie and so we are responsible for our actions that are a response to the evil done to us this was Jabez, somewhere in there, I'm not going to say one size fits all but what i just covered so briefly is the result of what happened to him and is what happened to some who are listening right now but into this man's life into our life has come the revelation of the true God now the word revelation is the best word I can come up with but it's the the word I'm looking for is the wow Word it, it, it means suddenly the the blinders are taken off my eyes. I can see the lie that's in the middle of this evil that happened so long ago. I see the lie that's been driving my life and it's a revelation now of the true God, which means then I reject. The false God, the God that I've concocted, the God that I have been thinking this is who God is, the the God who allowed this, who punished me with this, and the God who doesn't care for me, the God who doesn't want me because I'm dirty with this thing. No, suddenly I see it. Oh, I mean, have you had experiences like this? When you have suddenly, or it's been a process that's, Exploded in a moment when you realize who God really is, and you you have a glimpse of his love towards you, and you realize you've been believing in a false God, a God of your own, yes, let's say it, distorted, darkened imagination. And that revelation brought him to see and try and follow me here that he, Jabez is not evil the evil that happened to him does not define him he now is defined by the God who loves him and he always has been but just didn't see it because he believed the lie That came with the evil. And now he sees it that the evil, that lying energy that he believed and therefore gave it authority over him to fulfill its purposes in him, he now sees that's what it was. It was a great lie. You see, it was his mother she experienced the pain as if you remember some weeks ago when we talked about it we don't know what that pain was but it was a pain at his birth she experienced it and her reaction to it for she received its hurt she thought that she could dump it in all its hideousness on this little newborn baby and so she named him She defined him with the name Jabez, which meant pain, sorrow, pain-bringer. There's the evil. That's the evil. The mother. To do that to that little child, newborn, that's the evil. But he had received that. It's his name, for goodness sake. He would say, this is who I am. And he lived in the terrible energy of, I am pain. I am sorrow. I bring hurt. But when he sees the God of Israel, the God who loves him, and the God who has blessed him in a covenant blessing, When he saw that, then what he has believed is is a lie. I am not, I'm not the pain bringer. I am not that evil that was bestowed upon me. I'm not the evil that was flung at me by my mother. No, I am defined by the God who loves me with covenant love. That's the light of truth, which explodes, the darkness of the lie. It's what my mother, there's the evil, and it was an event, what an event. The naming ceremony right there when I'd only breathed a few breaths of life, and she named me. That's the evil, what she did in naming. She gave an evil inheritance. But it it wasn't given because he was wrong, because he was some inner ugly person. It was all about her dumping on him, but he believed it was him. And now to realize that he is the person that this God has made covenant with because he loves, And and that was done before he was born, that from his birth God delighted over him and loved him, called him beautiful. Now he can identify the evil that was done to him. It was done to me. It's apart from me. It's not me. It's apart from my true self. I am a beloved child of the covenant. I have been born to be in fellowship with the God who loves me. That was the revelation that caused him to say, keep evil from me, that it may not pain me, that I might not know this pain when the lie of it comes into me. I've seen the lie, and I renounce it, I reject it. Oh God, you keep me. That's right, because he couldn't do this by self-effort. His only hope was to respond to what he has seen, to, to throw himself upon the promises of the covenant love of God, declaring the truth as he renounces the lie. And so he calls upon God. I've seen it, but you do this, and do it because you're the covenant God who blesses. And so he has now a totally new expectancy of the future. And that is an expectancy of the God who blesses him and will keep him in that blessing. Because he can name the evil for what it is. And see himself now for who he is. Nothing to do with that. That was something to do with my mother. And she spilled it onto me. No, I am the one that is named by God. I am the one blessed and defined by his love. And so he says, Keep me from evil. Keep me. Now, this word actually is one of my favorite Hebrew words. And uh, when I first saw that this was the word used here I was amazed the word keep and I've explained the word keep um, in other places where it has the meaning of keeping something precious but this word it's it's strange to find it here Uh, in the Hebrew language it means to make or to fashion an object You know, the first time this word was used, it described God, the Creator, taking the dirt, the dust of the earth, and making, fashioning man and woman. As a sculptor fashions the clay. It's the first time it's used, but it gives you an idea of what it means. Here is the artist who takes this raw material and fashions something out of it. A second meaning to this word is to have a charge. You're in charge of doing or achieving something and bringing it to completion. And so again, the idea of the artist is there, but it goes a bit beyond that you are the one who are going to make you're going to make something happen you, you you are going to be in charge of the doing of something and achieving it and bringing it to its goal its completion and so this word also describes the process of construction now put that on hold the word is always used as action It's never a jolly good idea. No, no. If you use this word, you're talking about something being done. It's action. And it's interesting whenever you read of God keeping his covenant. There you see is the word again. God keeps his covenant. Keeps his covenant. Or he keeps his word. What what does it mean? He's going to do it. And so you will read sometimes in the book of Psalms especially of God who does loving kindness, who shows his faithfulness. So God's loving kindness, his covenant love in action, is never something in a dusty old book in a library that talks about it. Always God's covenant love is his doing it. It's always in action. It's not just something in a theological text, but that God is faithful. The Bible always speaks of him showing his faithfulness, doing his faith, keeping his word. And so it is also a word used to describe God keeping his covenant promises with signs and wonders. And so this word is always associated somewhere along the line with miraculous things like the parting of the Red Sea, like the feeding of the people with the manna. He kept his covenant. He said he would do it and he did it and to do it on those occasions necessitated miracles, signs of God being a covenant God, and signs that left your mouth open, wonders. Now, can you put all that together? Jabez is using this very strange word. I say strange word in this context because if I translated it literally, it said, and you would do do you would fashion you you he's saying you're in charge of the doing of this you're in charge of the achieving of this i'm going to be the work under construction and you are going to be the artist who's putting it together you will keep your word even if it takes signs, miracles that will cause me to wonder, you will keep your word. Do you you, you understand what he's saying? You will keep me from evil. I have put myself in your hands and you are the God who began this work in me and you will do it. You will fashion. Here's the raw materials of my life. And you will fashion it. And you will keep me from evil. You will do it. You will do it. And what what is he saying there? You will keep me from that terrible pain of the lie that I was my name. The terrible evil that I believed that I was what my mother said I was come on some of you can begin to relate to this there are some of you that were verbally abused and you you it was like a a machine gun of words day after day authority figures in your life mother father Others who, who were ever defining you as a no-good person, a, an ugly person, a person that was not wanted to be around, and so on and so on. And that's what Jabez is saying the evil. I believed those words. I believed I was ugly. I believed that I was not fit for society. I believed every word that my mother put into my name and sent me out into life with this is who you are. He said, I believed that. Now, I've seen other. God has defined me as his beloved. And so I separate. That's not my evil. Now, you keep me in this state of blessing. You see what he's saying? But now the ultimate. You see... All of these stories in the Old Testament of blessing. They're all pointing forward to Jesus who is the seed of Abraham who is the one who brings the ultimate blessing. And in order to bring the ultimate blessing he's got to deal with the pain of evil. Look, Jesus in his sufferings, right? You know what I mean? You, you have the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. You have his life. But then on that holy week, there began the sufferings. If we take the, the model um, that Jesus was crucified on the Friday, then on Thursday night began his sufferings. All that they did to Jesus then he is crucified, then he dies and is buried, and is in the tomb before he rises from the dead on the first day of the week, our Sunday. Now, you may never have gone here before, so listen very carefully. Jesus, th- this bothered me for a long time, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that, that's an obvious reference to the lamb of the Old Testament that was the sacrificial lamb. But those lambs in the Old Testament, when they were sacrificed, it was uh, executed so humanely there was a special way the pulling back of the neck to expose the jugular vein and a super sharp knife and cut the vein the blood is shed the lamb is dead there was no suffering in fact there was no possibility of harassing the lamb or beating the lamb or in any way hurting the lamb it was simply to shed its blood Well, when the Lamb of God, that all those lambs pointed to, when Jesus comes, why did he have to suffer? That bothered me for years. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Why not, as the lambs of the Old Testament, why did he not have a humane shedding of blood? Because, you see, Jesus was doing covenant action he was doing what every lamb in the Old Testament put together could never do Jesus did not only become the sins of the whole world so that it's written he became sin which is beyond my imagination to even think what that Means that in his person, that one person, that one man who is God, he takes the sin of the entire world. Ah, but you see, that sin was not only against God, that sin was against my fellow human beings and my fellow human beings they sinned against me and so we have this situation where the evil of mankind has hurt and crushed and destroyed other human beings until every human being is part of this anguish and this cry We're not only guilty of sin, we're bleeding inside from the hurt of the lie that has identified us with other people's sins. We were caught in the crossfire. And so often that was done when we were children, when we were too young to edit what people were saying and doing. No, Jesus didn't only bear our sins. He entered into the lie, the suffering that evil causes, and he took to himself. He won with the suffering of the human race. Can I begin to imagine it? That Jesus not only took to himself the sin of the race, but he took to himself the abuse and the violations. Every way in which human abused human, it all met in him. So that in the book of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, that incredible chapter, which describes these hours of Jesus' sufferings, 700 years before he came it says surely our griefs he himself bore our sorrows he carried okay what what do these words mean the word grief surely our grief he bore This word is a massive word in the Hebrew language. It means a lingering sickness. That is not just the passing sickness, a sickness that's taken hold of you. It means pain, pain of mind, screaming pain of emotion, pain of body that clings to a person. It describes great material loss. It describes a life that is diseased in spirit and mind, emotion and body. All of that in that one word there in Isaiah 53, grief. And the word sorrow is like to it. It means pain of every description in the human It means, similarly, suffering and sorrow. Now, quickly go through the sufferings of Jesus. You realize that our salvation began to be unfolded in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus shed his blood, that blood began to be shed in the Garden of Gethsemane where the blood oozed through the pores of his skin great clots and and, and that is a, a medical condition you can find it in medical dictionaries because of an extreme distress the blood can begin to flow through the pores of the skin when they arrested jesus his robe was bloody with the blood that had flowed down from his face oh yes He knew in Gethsemane anxiety, terror, fears which were totally out of accord with the Jesus we know. What's happening? He is taking upon himself. He is becoming one with our grief and our sorrow. The translation from the original language to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane describes the that he looked like a little child who has just lost his mother in a great shopping mall that would be a good translation of the word it's in Mark's gospel that one and then coming through the trees of the garden who is it that shall betray him Judas Judas was the treasurer Now that tells me a lot if there was a number one disciple closest to Jesus it was John and certainly number two or maybe equal to that was Peter and then there was James that they were those at, at all special occasion but I am saying number four disciple would be Judas he's the treasurer you you, you have to trust your treasurer Judas and, and and the words that are used to describe what Jesus went through concerning Judas it's a word that describes divorce Jesus I mean it could be any one of the twelve you could use these words but these are his special friends and Judas comes to betray him and do you remember what Jesus said as Judas comes up to him and he's given the sign to the soldiers behind him he said the one that I kiss that's the one and he comes up to Jesus and he kisses him on the cheek, which was the Middle Eastern way of greeting an intimate friend. And do you remember what Jesus said? Feel it. He said, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He's feeling it. It's as if he's saying, couldn't you say, the one I slap his face, spit in his face, punch his face? No, you betrayed me with the mark of a friend. You stabbed me in the back. Jesus entered into, hear me carefully, he took to himself all of the pain, the hurt that comes with a friendship that has been betrayed, with all the pain and gash of spirit that comes with divorce, Jesus took it and experienced it totally, Totally. at which point all the others, the disciples, forsook him, fled like frightened rabbits. He was left alone, abandoned, by all his friends he entered into total loneliness he took to himself the grief and the sorrow when you are left rejected by those you thought loved you there was a time when i went through a terrible situation just enough to say that everybody that I thought was a friend left me. And there was one man, and, and, uh, and I thought that man, we, we were too close for that to happen, and I called him. And when he heard my voice, there was a long silence. And he said, Malcolm, because of everything that's happening right now, I think it's better that I don't know you. Call me back in a few years when all this has blown over and put down the phone. I felt as if a pit had opened under me and I was being sucked into an abyss of loneliness and darkness. And I heard the voice of Jesus within my spirit say, I know what you're feeling and I've taken it and I've endured it for you Jesus took our abandonments he endured physical abuse beating unmerciful beating and dishonoring by mocking and spitting And in so doing, the arms of God's love reached down into all the physical abuse that you've ever had, and he brought it into himself, and it became his. And when he's being interrogated by the high priest, just a few yards away, well within hearing distance, there was Peter, Peter, and John, the two closest And they're warming themselves by the fire. And as Jesus asks out loud for those who heard him to come there beside him and to give witness on his behalf. John just huddled closer to the fire. And Peter began to curse and blaspheme and say, I don't know the man. And it says in the scripture that Jesus turned and looked upon Peter no words exchanged but in that moment I can feel that did did you hear me You, you talk about abuse, mental abuse emotional abuse when Peter is cursing blaspheming in order to back up his words and say I don't know that man I've never met him before and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter it's like a knife going through the heart of Jesus he had to experience total disowning and see the back of John as he tries to be hidden And can I say this, very reverently, but it's true, we have never seen a picture of the crucifixion. Even the passion of the Christ, though it got pretty close, did not come as close as reality. For you see, crucifixion, part of crucifixion, was sexual abuse. They stripped their victims naked, did the Romans, and they nailed them to a cross naked. Naked. And then they hung them up in front of all the gawking crowd to be laughed at and mocked. And any judge in any state would say that if you against your will are stripped naked and hung up in front of others to be laughed at, that is sexual abuse. And Jesus, the purest mind and the purest person that ever walked on planet earth, now takes to himself the sexual abuse of all human beings. The last that Jesus heard on this planet was the rattle of a dice on the rock down there by the cross as the Roman soldiers were gambling for the last piece of cloth that he owned Or as 2 Corinthians says, he who was rich became poor for our sake. And in the middle of it all, he entered into the feeling, not the actuality, but the full experiential feeling of being abandoned by God. And the only time Jesus didn't call him father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It had to happen. He had to enter into and totally swallow our experience. He had to come where we are, sit where we sit, enter into our belly and feel the pain. And in the middle of it, they offered him drugs, they gave tried to make him drink the wine and he refused it he is going to endure this in totality they put on him a crown of thorns and if you read in Genesis 3 thorns they came because the earth had been cursed the thorns were the symbol of the curse Jesus entered into the pain of evil he entered into our experience of evil and in all of that the father was giving the son he spared not his only son because he loved you he offered his only son this is the love of god that he gave his only son And the Holy Spirit upheld him and enabled him to go through this utter death. And he willingly, Jesus willingly, takes our grief and our sorrow as evil unleashed itself upon him. He took it into himself and bears it away. And all through the New Testament it says, that what he experienced at the cross, we were together with him. That's the main foundational plank of the gospel. What happened to Jesus on the cross, he was doing it as our representative only. That's a weak word. He, he experienced it as you. He took your sins He took the shame and he took the abuse and he took all the horror of being a human being in a fallen world and being part of that fallen world. He became us beyond words and then of his own volition he entered into death to meet Satan in the realm of death over which Satan had authority. And in that he took it away from him and he rose from the dead and in Revelation 1.17 announced a new life was on planet earth that had never been there before. He said, I was dead. I was dead. But behold, I am alive. That is, there's a life that has embraced everything that is death ...and brought it down into death. So the death died in the death of Jesus. The lie was forever crushed, exposed by the truth. Crucifixion. The Romans would not crucify a citizen. They reserved crucifixion for those they described as less than a person those who were the scum of the earth, those who were looked upon as almost non-humans. Jesus couldn't have gotten any lower. Among the Jews, the word crucifixion meant damn. But when the Jews said, crucify him, crucify him, in modern parlance that would be damn him to hell. And you see, in all of this, Jesus took it. Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, makes a big thing of this. That when all this came at him, he didn't answer back. He didn't threaten them and say, I'll get evil with you. Nor did he shout and say, that's not true. He took it. Because that's the point. He's taking it, becoming one with it. You damn me to hell, I take it. And so they said by the hands of wicked men. Men who were our representatives put on him our sin. Men, wicked men, put abuse upon him. He took the evil. He made our sin his own. He made our pain, our grief, our sorrow his own. He entered into it and bore it away. That being the case, Satan then has lost his most powerful tool. He can no longer say that you are the evil, for you know better. That God the Son so loved you, he came into the middle of that abuse, into the middle of that violation, and he took it to himself it's not yours it was taken into Jesus God himself so loved you he entered into the very belly of your pain that's what it's saying so evil evil happens but it cannot ultimately hurt us not I mean it cannot etch it's grief and sorrow within us For we know and we confess and we declare that he, God himself, become man, has taken that grief and that sorrow. And so when we say that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin, and you know that word cleanse, it's a strong word. Uh, Sometimes we, we say washed us from our sins, but this other word Cleanse. It's like you take that filthy, dirty garment and you put it in the washing machine and the the soap, and the soap gets into the fibers of the garment and separates out the dirt, and the cloth comes out cleansed or clean. The blood of Jesus Christ shed in all this way that I've described cleanses us separates away from us the evil that would seek to define us and shame us and crush us and destroy us Jabez experienced what I'm saying he recognized the evil taken away God did it, God did it. He did it with the sign and the wonder of the resurrection. Jabez didn't know that, but he knew the effect of that. God's wonder is that he applied that all the way back to Jabez so that evil was kept, kept far from him, that it would no longer have the power to pain him. He was released from it, released. And I've got no time to really talk about this, but in so doing, he had to release his mother. You see, when you see what I'm saying, Jesus has released us, released us. When I discover that God is the God of release, he releases me from sin. He releases me from suffering he releases me from pain he releases me from abuse he releases me into blessing that's the way the world is defined in Jesus Christ and so now I turn to my abuser or abusers and in the name of Jesus who accomplished this who did it I release them to him I shall no longer be their judge and jury and executioner. I release them to him. I wish I had more time. I have a tape, a CD series, Loose Him and Let Him Go. I take six hours to say what I just said in the last six seconds. But it's it's the doorway into this life of blessing. I am released From it all, I, when I look at Jesus, I see my face, one with him, together with him. When he went into the tomb, me, I went into the tomb. When he rose again with a life the planet had never seen, that's my life now. It's called eternal life. The life of the ages, the life that came through the tomb and therefore can never die and never be sucked down back into the pain of the territory of death well my time has gone enough to say God granted him that which he asked which God had promised the result was he became more honorable than his brothers that which had been so evil. He he lived his life in the energy field of sorrow and shame. Now, because he has believed the blessing, he lives in the energy field of the covenant blessing which has an effect upon his spirit, his mind, his emotions, his body, his possessions, and all he touched. And I could say a lot more, but I'll put it into something else I trust that will be the release of your soul tell him your story tell your story to him who loves you and tell it in the sense of giving it to him and realize that he takes it and that he cleanses you from all the memories that are shame filled and he is himself your life and arise to a new life of blessing